All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Durr. You'll have to bear with me. I am fighting COVID-19 C19er. It's hit me pretty hard, so my voice is a little bit messed up, so I apologize. I'm fired up for this conversation because I have the man, the myth, the legend, John Eberhart on the line to talk about everything saddle hunting, John's journey, what he uses, what he doesn't use, And most importantly, we talk about the biggest mistakes people are making when using their saddles to hunt. So it's a really good conversation. Real quick, I have to announce the Stealth Strip Climbing Stick giveaway winner. It is going to be Show Me Shed. Show Me Shed left me a review on November 28th titled Phenomenal Podcast. If this is you, Shoot me a message on Instagram and I will get you those stealth strips out in the mail. Thank you very much. I'm extending this giveaway again, this time for a complete stealth strip package to silence a tree stand. If you have it in your heart, please leave me a five-star written review on iTunes and you will be entered. If you've already left me a review, you're already entered. So thank you very much. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation with John Eberhardt. All right, everyone, I am live. I'm sitting down today with Mr. John Eberhart, a man that needs no introduction, but John, for anyone that's been living under a rock for the last 40 years, uh, give a short introduction of yourself. Uh, well, my name is John Eberhart and uh, reside in Michigan. I've been bow hunting for 55 seasons. Uh, this year, I think I've taken my 53rd uh, book buck with a bow and um it's all been everything's been on public land free knock on doors for permission which you see a lot out west we don't have that in michigan per se um and you know knock on doors for free permission property so never hunted over food plot don't hunt over bait never owned any property never leased any property don't hunt relatives properties um and i also don't take advantage of my status i mean you could talk to you know, like Greg Godfrey from Tethered, and he'll tell you because he's offered, you know, me to go hunting on their Ohio lease, and I don't do that. I don't hunt leases um, because everything I've done over my career has been stuff I've got myself, and I don't take advantage of my status to hunt better places. So if I can't get it on my own, I don't do that. So sure. And I, I can't think of really anybody else that's has that many buck record book bucks, you know from that types of properties. And I'm really proud because 33 of those 53 are from Michigan. And Michigan is hands down the most heavily pressured state in the country. Uh, we have more bow hunters than any other state and we're also a two buck state, which means you get 320, 340,000 bow hunters. Uh, you know, once they kill one buck, they're not done. And most of them just keep hunting. So uh, it, it almost doubles the pressure really. Yeah. And it's just very, very tough. And 20 of my bucks, uh, book bucks have came from out of state on 25 out of state hunts. And those have all been in either Ohio, Missouri, Iowa, Kansas, or Illinois. So all, all places, states where there's, you know, they're known for monster bucks and a lot lighter hunting pressure, same types of properties, you know, knock on doors and walk on and, and public. Uh, and it's, the word easier is not really a proper word, but uh, 
you know, compared to Michigan and PA and West Virginia and Massachusetts, uh, New York, you know, states that get just pounded because there's so many people residing in those states and their, their uh, license sales are so huge. Whereas you go out to Kansas, you know, they, they will have probably 25,000 bow, bow hunters and it's a one buck state. And Michigan's 320 to 340,000 bowhunters, and that's a two-buck state. So uh, I, I can't stress enough how much, I guess I have to use the word easier, how much <laughs> easier it is to go out of state to states like Missouri, especially like Missouri, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, not necessarily Ohio. Ohio's a tough state. They get a lot of pressure. Um, and, and take mature bucks because, you know, there's years – the last three seasons in Michigan, I have not seen, not including this one, because I did take two bucks in Michigan this year, but I had not even seen a Pope and Young buck in hunting wow. my home state all season, three years in a row uh, on the types of properties. Obviously, there's managed properties and big leases in Michigan where they manage it and they, they kill big bucks, but that's not what I'm hunting. Um, and I'll go out to Kansas with my two boys and, you know, it's not uncommon whatsoever see 12 to 18 open young bucks you know, different bucks. yeah that's phenomenal it's just another world um, so but anyway i've been doing this a long time uh, i started saddle hunting in 1981 i bought uh, i was in a sporting goods store and there was this conglomeration of webbings and straps and a plastic bag and it had kind of stick figures pictures of guy this guy that invented it hanging from a tree and and i I looked at it and nobody knew what it was. They just came out and I bought one and it was very strange. <laughs> um, and it took me, I'd say it took me a good year and a half probably to modify it to my specs and to learn how to use it properly. But that has been a major game changer. There's two things in my career that have totally changed my success rate. The saddle was one and then the second one would have definitely been Suntlock and not having to pay attention to wind direction. And that, that took place around the year 2000. I started using it in 97, 98. Um, and then I perfected the process of all the stuff you have to use in conjunction with it, proper care, proper use, proper storage, uh, to the point where I, since 2020 or 2000, uh, maybe it was late 1999, I, I have paid zero. I don't pay attention to wind whatsoever as far as having gear down lately. I do pay attention to wind when I'm setting up locations because of a lot of times, you know, mature bucks will scent check stuff from downwind. So I want to be on that side of whatever that destination spot if they're scent checking. Um, but the, the scent thing has been a big deal. And obviously the saddle because of all the huge advantages it has over hunting out of any type of metal conventional stuff. So in what you said, 1981 or 79? Uh, 1981 was the first year I started using. What was your initial draw to saddle hunting? Why did you see that and think like, okay, this is something I might be into? It was different. And I always try to think outside of the box. Um, nobody I knew used one. I didn't know anybody that used one. I was in, I was just in a sporting goods store and I saw this thing in a poly bag hanging on the shelf and it looked, it looked different, you know, and it showed the person, the hunter being able to, move around the tree 360 degrees. So he could use the tree as a hiding buffer for deer coming through that he didn't want to shoot. 
Uh, he could use it as, as a destination place, like let's say you're setting up in an apple tree or a, an oak tree or a primary scrape where you're going to have multiple deer there lingering for a period of time. You know, I knew that with a tree stand, you have to, if you're hunting in a decent sized tree, you had to offset the tree stand where your body basically was a visual to the deer at that destination area. And when you're in a pressured state like I am, where you're hunting public land primarily, you know, those deer, when they eat an acorn or when they're standing around, they're looking in the trees for hunters. So if your body profile, especially during rut phases when COVID is down, is sitting off at the side of the tree, you're very apt to get picked. And, you know, at apple trees and, and, and mass trees, it's not uncommon common to have three, four, five, six deer there eating at the same time. So there's always something looking around. So even when you tried to make a movement to take a shot, it was tough. So I, I thought, well, with this saddle, at the time it was called a sling, um, I could hide behind the tree. I could set up where my body was 180% behind the tree on the opposite side. And then I would just peek around the corner and, uh, you know, when a shot opportunity came at something I wanted to shoot at, I would just slowly move. I'd move around on my step. I'd probably take my left step because I'm right-handed. I'd move my left foot to the left step. I'd put my right foot on the step that would have been between my legs. And then I just swing my body slightly and draw and take my shot. So uh, the hiding advantage is huge. And um, I could prep all the trees I ever hunt for the rest of my life and only use one saddle. You cannot do that with a tree stand. You have to have tree stands for every single tree. And if you're freelancing with a tree stand, you've got a cumbersome frame and it's heavy and it's noisy to set up. With a saddle, you can freelance and you know, prep the tree and the saddle can out ever doesn't make any noise. Nobody's going to steal it. Nobody's going to hunt from it when you're not there. If you leave stand on public land. Uh, and again, nobody's going to steal it. It's safe. You know, from the moment you are on the ground at the base of the tree, you have a safety belt, which you hook up to the tree, you climb the tree, then you hook up your tree tether, which is your basically what you're going to hunt from. It's a rope wrapped around the tree. Then you disattach the safety belt, put it in your backpack. And then when you get done hunting, you take that safety belt out, you hook it back to the saddle, you disattach your lead, and then you go back down the tree with the safety belt. So at no time are you ever not attached to the tree if you're using it properly. So you literally can't fall out of it. It's, it's pretty much impossible. And in all the years, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody falling out of a tree. Um, tens of thousands of people fall out of trees. Oh yeah. If, if you don't have that safety line or a lot of times, even if you do have a safety line, you know, it's stepping into the stand or stepping out of the stand, hooking up. Um, so that's, that's another big, big deal. Um, again, they're made of fabric. They never creak. You know, a lot of times when you shift your weight, you know, in a metal stand, you know, one of the joints will make a creak and then that, that hunt's done. Oh, yeah. you know, it's not like TV where, you know, you'll see a buck coming through the woods, a big buck and the TV guy sitting on a platform, and, you know, he slides his arrow across his rest and it makes noise and, and the deer looks up at him and, you know, looks at him for five seconds, puts his head back down and keeps going. <laughs> There's noises made you're in a pressured area that's the end of that hunt instantly sure so there's just tons and tons of advantages yeah I, uh how how quickly after you bought that first sling at the time 
how quickly did you realize you'd never hunt out of a tree stand again? First time I hunted out of it. Really? I hated tree stands. I absolutely hated tree stands. And I still do. I think they're extreme. Now I think they're very archaic. Um, like to carry a tree stand around, you know, you see tree stand commercials, you know, I can remember Michael Waddell walking down this pristine two track into this big stand <laughs> timber and, you know, running a climber up the tree and killing a big buck. When you're on pressure property, you're, you're going through trash. You know, if, if you expect to see a mature buck in the daytime, you're in the trash and you just can't, you just can't freelance and go through that kind of stuff with a metal stand on your back, plus your backpack, plus your rope. You just can't do it uh, without making all kinds of noise and sweating your ass off. So, um, you know, I, that was the huge thing. And in fact, I hated tree stands so much. I, I typically, when I was hunting out of a tree back then, and I even did it on public land. I would I would nail a two by six or a two by eight a chunk of that into the tree, and that I just climb up and stand on it because I knew it wasn't going to make any noise. Because they were a lot noisier back then, obviously than tree stands are now. They're much much better, um, but still there is the potential of creeping. There's still a potential of making noise, setting it up, and then you got it. You know, I have fifty trees usually that I hunt during the course of the season, I have ready to hunt. I may only hunt a dozen of them due to, you know, mass production, fruit production, uh, crop rotations, you know, a lot of different scenarios. Um, but I can step to any tree and hunt any tree out of one saddle for the rest of my life. Think about the savings there. Oh, yeah. So even when I'm out, even when I go out of state, those trees, when I go back, if I still have permission or I'm on the same public lands, those trees are still there. I didn't leave a stand in the day. Uh, I just climb up the tree and, you know, and get in my, my saddle. So I don't have to make all that noise and, and tote that cumbersome, heavy, heavy, heavy stand. So there's just, a, there's just a lot in the 360 mobility that, that you, you can't put a value on that. You can't do that with a tree stand. And that's yeah. one thing that blows me away. I'm rambling here maybe, but it's one thing that blows me away is all the YouTube videos where guys are going up a tree and they're just hunting off a platform. Um, I, I don't understand that. I can't wrap my head around it because <laughs> you are totally losing the advantage of hunting out of a saddle if you're hunting a medium to a large size tree and only using a platform. If you're hunting a small diameter tree, yeah, you can sit on a platform and you can shoot all the way around the tree just by putting your foot on the edge of the platform and, you know, leaning a little bit. But when you're hunting a big diameter tree, you can't go around the tree. You know, you may be able to put your feet in the corner of the platform where it's touching the tree and swing around the tree, but that's a body movement. You have no control. And then if you don't get that shot, it's hard to put your body back up on top of the platform. Um, and also with the platform, you put your body farther away from the tree. So it's a lot easier to get picked because usually people are standing on the leading edge. Whereas when you're using steps, um, your legs are somewhat straddling the tree. So your body profile is a lot slimmer. It's tighter to the tree. Um, but not being able, you know, platforms are fine. If you put steps around the backside on a medium to a larger diameter tree. But I, I just don't comprehend hunting with just a platform or a lot of these sticks have a small platform on the top of the top stick. Um, I don't get it. You're not taking full advantage of the 360 movement to, you know, use the tree as a blocker 
and and it also it forces you let's say you are facing the tree and you have a deer come in to your let's say five o'clock four o'clock five o'clock it's coming in back in here and you're right-handed you have no option but to keep your body if you're using a platform on the same side of the tree as the deer is you know you're going to basically move over to the right side of the platform and swing around and shoot you know swing around over here and shoot to your four or five o'clock so all that body movement's on the same side of the tree as the deer if you had a ring of steps in conjunction with the platform on the back side when you see that shot opportunity coming to fruition what you do is you you physically move around the tree so that you have the tree as a buffer between you and that deer. You know, if you're hunting a mature deer in a pressured area, they're smart and they notice things. They notice any minute movement in a tree. So once your body's on the backside of that tree and you're on your steps, now you've got a total buffer between your tree as a buffer between you and that shot. And then when that shot presents itself, you just, again, swing slightly to the side and take your shot. Yeah, that's something that I've heard you talk about a lot and something that I have just started messing with. But what that does, too, is eliminates one of the biggest worries people have with getting into saddle hunting is the weak side shot. And something that you talk about is if you're using a saddle correctly, there is no such thing as the weak side shot. So having that ring of steps keeps that deer on your strong side to pull that shot off at all times. Absolutely, there should never be a weak side shot. The only, I've killed one deer, because out of my 53 bucks that are in the book, 48 of them were shot out of the saddle, 47 or 48. 47, okay, 47 were shot out of the saddle. At one time I took a weak, weak side shot and I'm in the tree and it happened so fast, I had no option, but I practiced that shot. And it wasn't a shot where I moved my body around, shoot over behind me, keeping my body on the same side as what you see on YouTube videos. It was a shot where this deer came over from the side. It came with a doe from my four o'clock. And I was on a, a tree line. And then there was about a five yard buffer of weed between me and a standing cornfield. And this buck was chasing a doe and he, the doe, come up and the doe never even slowed down. She just went right through the tree line, right through the weeds and right into the standing corn. Well, the buck, when he came and this all happened within seconds, I didn't have time to move around the tree. He came in and he stopped. He did not even, again, this was Michigan. So he didn't even want to walk out into that weed buffer, even though it was five yards wide. He didn't want to expose himself in that open between that and the corn. So I had to pull, lift my bow over top of my lead tether, my tree tether, and then take that shot, which is very, it's a very awkward shot. And it, it alters your anchor, actually. It alters your drawing. But I did make that shot. It was only six yards. So it was a really, really chip shot. But other than that, I have never, ever taken a weak side shot. I always move around the tree and use the tree as my friend. Where do you think... So you mentioned like the people on YouTube doing these weird movements and making all these movements. Where do you think that comes from? Where, do, Why do you think that's how people think they should use a saddle? Because they don't know any better and they want to be somebody and they want to put something on YouTube, which I totally understand. 
Um, they typically, most of them haven't killed much out of a saddle and they play with it in their yard or they may have used it hunting and, and, you know, and they just think that's the easiest way to do it. Well, it is the easiest way. It is easier just to swing your body around because that your bridge slides in the loop in the, you know, in the carabiner. So it's easy to swing your body around, but you're not taking into consideration, you know, if you're hunting for a smart deer, smart mature buck, that body movement is something that can get picked as opposed to being on the other side of the tree. But there's so many YouTube videos out there by guys that haven't built squat out of the, out of the saddle. And they just want to be a part of something, you know, it's almost like a cult following now. And, um, you know, the saddle is, it's a hunting tool. It's no more than that. I see all these YouTube videos on, well, how do you get in the tree? And how you, this is three ounces lighter than that. And, you know, I have to have a pouch. You don't have to have a pouch. I don't know anybody that's saddle hunted more than 20 years that ever uses pouches. Pouches hanging off your body just enlarges your body profile. And it's something that if you're moving your body and you stop, the pouch can swing because it's basically hanging freely below your saddle. So your body stops and the pouch swings for a, minute, a second or two. And that's something else that can get picked if there's no wind. Um, there's just a lot of things that people don't take into consideration. And a lot of guys hunt out west. And so they're not hunting pressured properties. So they can get away with stuff. Just like the TV guys. They can get away with murder no matter what they do. Because they have so many opportunities over the course of the season. Sure. So let's do this. Let's break down what you're using how you prep a tree, and then I want you to talk about the proper way to use a ring of steps. Okay. Um, I obviously am using my Eberhardt signature saddle, which is a two-panel saddle, which is something else I struggle with. I don't know why anybody would use a single-panel saddle because they ride. They tend to ride up. About the only single-panel saddle I know because it has comfort channels on the uh, bridge loops is the Phantom. The Phantom does not ride up as bad. It's the least of the riding up saddles. But there's, I'm gonna explain this and this is gonna sound kind of gross, but it's the reality of hunting out of a saddle. When you're in a tree and you're hunting, you typically are moving around. Your feet are fidgeting a little bit. You may reposition your, your feet on a platform or on the ring. And every time you move, You've got two butt cheeks, okay? You got two butt cheeks. And when you move, one butt cheek will come up and the other one will go down. And when you move back, the other one will go like this. They move slightly. I mean, it's very minuscule, but if they move. And when your butt cheeks move, every time your butt cheek moves up, when you're fidgeting or whatever you're doing, skiing, pushing up, standing in a position or go sitting back down, what you're doing is you're riding that saddle up, on, up above your butt. Well, on a single panel saddle, when your butt cheeks are moving and you're riding that panel, you're riding that saddle up, it's all one piece. So when you're riding the higher end of the saddle up, it's pulling the bottom out from under your butt. And then you're always lifting your body weight up. And I'm sure a lot of you people will relate to this. You lift your body weight up and you're sliding it back down under your ass all the time. With a two panel saddle, once you get up in the tree, and you have it, you know, the inner panel goes underneath your butt, way underneath your butt, right down there to the crease of your butt cheeks. And then the outer panel, you adjust that up however you want it. So if that outer panel rides up a little bit, it does not affect that inner panel that stays underneath your butt. 
And also with a two panel, you can adjust those panels however you want. You can have a six inch seat, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12. You can take that outer panel and you can put it up underneath your armpits if you want and the inner panel still underneath your ass. So you've got a lot of versatility as far as changing your clothes. You can shrink that saddle up to the six inch by overlapping the panels and your whole body is exposed for untucking your clothes and changing, putting layers on, tucking them back in, putting your tag back on. Uh, there's just a lot of advantages of two-panel saddle, and they're far more comfortable, and they never ride up. So I use an ESS, and basically the saddle that I bought in 1981 was a two-panel saddle as well. It was called the Anderson Tree Sling, and it got by, bought by Big Bucks, so it was in the Big Bucks Tree Sling, and uh, never rode up. I mean, I made a ton of modifications to the hookup system and the drape adjustment system, but the saddle itself, which is the killing part of a saddle has always remained the same. My ESS is exactly the same hunting seat as the saddle I've been using since 1981. Wow. So that's what, that's what I use. And I've old and I forgot the rest of your question. So, <laughs> just, um, we'll just kind of go a little bit more in depth into your setup, like the ropes that you're using. Huh. Are you using a mechanical ascender? Or do you just like a Prusik knot and, um, the steps that you use and what the proper way to use a ring of steps is. Okay. Uh, I have a very diverse um, climbing method. So if I get permission on a farm and right now I have two, two pieces of property that I have permission on. One's a 20 and the other one's 37 acres of huntable land. And one of those people allow me to use spikes. So I will actually buy three eighths diameter 10 inch long spikes, which are just like a big ass nail. And I use, I buy a three eighths inch, I've got a three eighths inch Irwin speed bore bit and I hook it to a cordless drill and I drill holes and put those spikes in. Cause they're a lot cheaper. I buy them in 50 pound boxes at a hardware store. So they're a lot less expensive than using steps. And also they last a lot longer. When you put a 10 inch spike into a tree you're only putting it in about three inches. So you've got seven inches of spike sticking out and it's perpendicular to the tree. So when you got seven inches sticking out, as the tree grows, the tree grows out straight out. So that's that spike remains straight out. And then in over an eight or 10 year period, it may get to the point where it's that long and you have to drill another hole and put another spike there. Usually I never have permission on property that long. <laughs> but when you're using tree steps, you know, if I've got property and somebody lets me use tree steps, which has happened a lot over the years, then I use Cranford tree steps exclusively. So I'm using Cranford Deluxe tree steps for my ring. And these are all folding steps because they have a flat surface on the top. And I'll use Cranford folding steps, which are double folds. The threads fold down and the step folds up as my climbing steps or their new, they also have a T-step. Those are what I use to climb them. And I like the folding steps a lot because they have a little half moon. You know, stuff comes out and it's got a little half moon on it. And it's also a U-steel, whereas the deluxe at the top, they're U-steel, but the U-steel is this way, so it's flat on the top. Mm -hmm. With the climbing steps, with the folder steps, it's U-steel this way, so there's a gap on the top of the step. That's the open part of the U. So for climbing, you get a great grip. You can reach up there and grab that and you, your hand can't slide off because it's got that little half moon on the end. Uh, and, and if you're hunting in the winter and it's got ice on it, that's a big deal. Steps can get really slippery in the winter or in the rain. 
So, and then also when you're coming down out of the tree with the folding steps going up the tree to ascend, you can fold the step up against the tree. So it has a lot lower profile because every place I ever run, I've got competition, even on free permission property. Somebody, you know, I knock on the door and they give me permission. So they let other people on too. So, you know, the lower profile, you can keep your setups, which is another huge thing about a saddle. You know, when you prep a tree and you leave the tree, there's nothing there. Maybe a couple of steps. Well, when I leave the tree, I'll I'll fold the steps up and I might take out the bottom five or six, depending on how many other people I know are hunting in this area. That way, if they're walking through the woods scouting, they can't see my steps. You know, my first step's gonna be 14 feet up the tree. So unless they stop and physically look at that tree, they're not gonna see my steps. They're just walking through the woods. They are not gonna see those steps starting at 14 feet. And then on public, over the years, I've used a lot of different things on public. and a lot of times on public, I'm going to be brutally honest, <laughs> I've used screw-in steps. If I'm way back, you know, usually in public on Michigan, you've got to be back in the crowd. You know, you are going to be in the swamps. You're going to be in areas of heavy security cover. And I'm not typically too worried about somebody finding me. Um, so a lot of times over the past, I have used screw-in steps on public land. And I do the same thing. I take out the bottom five or six. Uh, but typically, especially if there's snow on the ground where I can be tracked, mm. um, I will use strap on sticks or strap on Cranford, strap on rope steps. Typically, I'll use the Cranford rope steps and I carry those in a fanny pack because uh, sticks in the past, I mean, there's been so many upgrades to sticks over the last four or five years. Um, but back in the past, all your sticks were pretty tall. They were all 22 inch gaps and they were all three step sticks. So they were, you know, they're three, they're over three foot long. So they were very cumbersome to carry for going through brush. So now they make tethered makes one sticks and they got that new Skeletor sticks out there and Hawk Heliums, um, the Beast sticks and Shikar sticks. There's just so many phenomenal you know, two-step sticks that are, you know, 17 to 20 inches long. So they're easy to carry and they're lightweight. They're aluminum and titanium. Um, so, but, but back in the day, I was using Cranford rope steps to get up to the top. And then I would actually use Cranford rope steps as my ring, which was kind of a pain because if you got six, five or six Cranford rope steps, you got five or six ropes hanging. So you always had to intertwine those so you don't have ropes dangling, you know, so that the wind catches them and makes a move. And you had to do that with your steps going up as well. Mm. Uh, but now Cranford also makes, they call it a Cranford saddle scaffold ring of steps. And basically it's a ratchet strap. And it's on, I think it's on their website. Um, maybe I just Googled Cranford tree steps, you'd see it. Um, their scaffold ring, basically it's a ratchet strap and he uses a ratchet strap strictly because of liability. You know, a lot of guys will take them off and put them on a cam lock strap. Um, but it comes with four steps and the steps are folders. So they fold up when you're not in use. And, um, and I always suggest anybody, if they're gonna buy those, I think it's $59 right now for four. They're going up to 69 after the first of the year. Uh, I always suggest they buy two extra steps. Four steps is usually not enough. Six steps will usually work for most trees. I've got trees with eight steps in. Um, you know, you get in a big tree, you don't want, you want to gap your steps eight to 10 inches apart. You don't want to have big body movements and leg movements to get from one step to the next. You want to be able to move around your steps without even looking. 
just slightly move your foot to the left or to the right in the steps there. Um, that just keeps body movements to an absolute minimum. And in getting pressured areas, all that little stuff makes a difference. But uh, I'm using those quite a bit now on public, especially when there's snow on the ground. Yeah, like you said, when someone can just follow right to where the where it's where your tree is. Exactly. So anybody, a, a DNR officer could follow my tracks to my tree. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and when there's no foliage on or when there's no snow on the ground, they can't because I'm back in the craft. I'll right. still be back in the craft, but I mean, they can still follow snow tracks. <laughs> what, uh, what's Just being your... honest here. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. Uh, what are your uh, tether and um, Lyman's rope? ropes that you're using and do you use a mechanical ascender or do you just like a Prusik ball? Uh, no, I love the rope, man. There's no way I'd use it. I shouldn't say there's no way if it's all that was available, I'd use the Prusik knot. But the Prusik knots tend to tighten up, you know, when you're, when you put your weight in it and you're physically hunting, um, the heavier you are, the tighter that Prusik knot binds to that tree tether rope. And if you have to make a movement really fast, a lot of times you have to actually fidget with it to get it to slide up and down the rope. Whereas a rope man is instant. Now I know there's guys that have little gadgets that hook to those uh, Prusik knots where they slide pretty fast. Um, I've never used those, but I've watched guys do that and they work. I don't know what it's called, but I'm a big rope man or a Kong advocate. Now I, I like a rope man a lot better than I do a Kong. And I also prefer 11 millimeter ropes over eight millimeter ropes because when you tie your uh, girth hitch knot and then you get, you're getting ready to get down, it's easier because it's a bigger diameter rope. It's easier to unbind that knot and take it apart, you know, just like string. You know, the, you take a real skinny piece of string and wrap it around your finger, it's going to have a lot of pressure on it. You take a bigger piece of string, it's going to have less pressure on it. It's going to cut off your circulation. Same way with the ropes. You know, the bigger diameter rope, uh, it's going to bind plenty well enough to hold you, but it's going to be a lot easier to unravel and disconnect and pull everything through after dark. That's a really Especially good point. Especially when your hands are cold. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's something that I've never, I've never heard anyone mention that, but that makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, there's, not a lot of people think about, I think about all that minute crap. So, mm. <laughs> cause it makes a difference. You know, I've, I've used eight millimeter ropes, uh, you know, this year a few times just to test them out. Um, and they were just harder to untie after dark. Sure. So what is, so you, you use a ring of steps. Do you ever use a platform? No, I've never, ever used a platform. And I never, ever will use a platform. So what is the... I, I would consider, because um, I have a set of shikar sticks with a little platform on the top, I would definitely consider using that in conjunction with steps around the backside. Uh, because that, you know, a lot of these sticks with the little platform on it, I think these sticks has one, and I think tethered skeletors will have that as well, that option. Because um, with those, your feet are right still tight to the tree. Your body profile is going to be pretty tight to the tree and it'll save you probably using two, two screw-in steps or strap-on steps. But I would never, ever even think of using just a platform without steps around the backside. So what is the proper way to set those steps around the tree? 
this is something I've heard you talk um, a little bit about, about the height. And I want you to kind of break that down. Yeah, I like to gap my steps, you know, like I said, eight to 10 inches apart. And then if I'm on a tree that's 18 inches in diameter or bigger, which is, you know, you're going to be looking at that or bigger, I'll have a step. One step will be between my legs and then my feet will be on steps to the side, eight inches to each side. You know, and the longer your inseam is, the wider you can gap your steps. The longer your legs are, the wider you can gap your steps. I'm short, so I got a 30 inch inseam. So I have them eight inches. And then as I go around the back of the tree, the steps rise. Because when you move around the tree, your tree tether will actually start to wrap and it'll lift your body up. So your steps have to be raised in conjunction with that lifting up your body. So usually if you, if you got one in the center that your foot is not on when you're hunting, one on each side, your next one should probably go up an inch. And then the next one behind that an inch and a half to two inches. And if you got one way on the back, you know, two and a half inches, because that, that tree tether will raise your body. And if, if you raise it too much, it'll actually start pinching your upper body to the tree. So you have a hard time drawing your bow. You don't have, you know, the elbow space to draw your bow. So sure. you need to have that to make up for, you know, having that uh, tether wrap. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. Um, also on leaning trees, I got to say this. Uh, that's another thing. You know, when you're hunting with a saddle, you can hunt pretty severe leaning trees and you can hunt trees that big around. You can hunt trees you can't physically get it with a hanger or with a climber. Um, and on leaning trees, your steps, when you're putting in your steps, they have to be, you have to pretend everything's parallel to the ground. You know, on a straight tree, you're looking at perpendicular to the tree. But on a leaning tree, everything's got to be parallel to the ground. And then still on the back side, you're going to want to raise your steps accordingly to the rope wrapping around the tree. How did, so in Kansas, that's one thing that you probably have to deal with a lot. There's not a ton of straight up and down trees. And that's something that I get the question a lot is people ask me like, okay, well, what do you do if your tree is crooked? How do you make that comfortable hunting out of a saddle? I'll let you answer that question. I think your crooked tree is the most comfortable tree to hunt out of. Now, depending on the lean, yeah, there will be times when you're in a crooked tree that's leaning enough where you can't shoot 360. You will not be able to because as soon as you start to move around to the backside of the tree, gravity will just pull you over and you'll be dangling off the backside. But it's a tree, if it's in the right spot, the right destination spot if it's next to a primary scrape area or you know whatever the mast is out there you know preferred food uh, it's a spot you couldn't hunt because you get a lot of huge cottonwoods out there and you can't put a hang on you could put a ladder stand up against them but then you've got a huge visual you know deer tend to mature deer tend to follow ladder stands up at the top and see if anybody's sitting there before they come in so uh you know so that's a huge visual so in those leaning trees, you can still hunt out of a saddle. You just can't do the full 360. But usually you can find a leaning tree that's going to give you the shot to that destination spot. Sure. You can. You may lose. You know, I've, I've hunted trees that leaned. In fact, I killed a buck out of one in 2017. It had a very, very severe lean. In it. It's in one of my YouTube videos, actually. And um, I probably lose... I probably lose a hundred degrees of shooting mobility. You know, I can't shoot like I can't shoot probably from 12 o'clock 
to four o'clock, three or four o'clock is an area that I can't shoot. I could potentially go over my lead and shoot over there to my two thirty, three, four o'clock. Um, but as far as swinging around the tree and being able to do it, we can't because gravity will just pull you over. You'll just be dangling straight down from back lead. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had a hunting scenario where you were hunting out of a saddle and you were not physically able to pull the shot off? No, not that I can think of. No, I can pretty much say never. No. Yeah, that's something. I've shot that... hundreds of deer, you know, including bills out of a saddle. And my son, John, he's, I know he's shot 300 deer out of a saddle. And he's using the same thing. I mean, 90% of them were does. So don't get me wrong. He used to shoot like 10, 10 15 does a year. <laughs> uh, but uh, he shot a lot of good bucks too. But, uh, uh, no, personally, I've never not been able to shoot a deer out of a saddle. Um, this one other thing I want to talk about, I want to get your opinion on, um, uh, when we were talking about climbing methods and earlier when we talked off air, you were talking about how you see all these YouTube videos and this guy can get up the tree in three and a half minutes. And, uh, you preach like whatever is going to help you kill and be, um, as minimal as possible with your movements is good. So how do you feel about, um, all the say fads in saddle hunting with like one sticking and repelling and the SRT and DRT. There's like a million different ways that you can climb a tree with a saddle. Uh, what, what are your personal feelings on like the one sticking and repelling? I think for the guys that are doing it and doing it correctly, it's absolutely phenomenal. Hmm. I know Paul Kermy, um, uh, Carl Kasuth, uh, I think Ernie, Ernie used to be an arborist. So he's very comfortable doing that. Uh, I think Greg is one sticking. I've, I know a lot of guys that are one sticking and they have, in fact, I was up at a sports shop last week and I was talking to a guy and he said, man, I just started at one sticking. I thought it was going to be weird. He said, I love it. That's all I'll ever do. And they were repelling down with a rope, you know, free, free repelling with a rope. And they absolutely love it. And, and they're all, they all tend to be in relatively good shape. So they're not struggling with it. I had a guy come to one of my workshops. I do these whitetail workshops that I'm getting ready to post on Facebook probably today or tomorrow. Um, I had a guy come and he was, because <laughs> we have a little, about a three to four hour saddle demo at the end of each workshop. And um, I got three trees set up with different types of methods, some with platforms, some with rings, some with screw ins. And he, he brought his one stick method and he was trying to show up and he didn't have, he wasn't very good at it. <laughs> it took him 20 minutes to get up there about 20 feet and he was in a sweat bag and it was probably 50 degrees. I mean, he struggled, <laughs> but I've, I've seen Carl do it and uh, I've talked to Paul Kermy and they get up the tree really, really fast. As far as all these YouTube videos, you know, getting up the tree, that's a peripheral point. You know, the saddle is the killing tool. That's what most people should be concerned about. The, the comfort of the saddle, the versatility of the saddle, and hooking up correctly, have your steps properly in, have your, if you're using a platform, having your platform with steps, that's your killing aspect of the saddle. All that other climbing crap, that's peripheral. If it takes you 20 minutes to get up the tree, go 20 minutes earlier. It's really pretty basic. That's all peripheral BS. 
Um, obviously, it's not BS if you want to, you know, be as lightweight and mobile as you can. You don't want to carry a bunch of cumbers and stuff. But as far as all these little idiosyncrasies you see these people doing with all their climbing apparatuses, and then they post it online on Facebook pages, it's because they didn't kill anything. They're just <laughs> wanting to be part of this big, huge saddle blow up. And, and I understand that. And I and more power to them. But uh, for guys looking at getting into saddle hunting, uh, I would really suggest them look at the basics. Look at the basics of what a saddle is for. You know, it helps you get more opportunities. And uh, all that. And then once you perfect your hunting system, then you worry about the peripheral stuff on how fast you can get up the tree. You know, I'm a, I'm a sales rep in the hunting and fishing industry and the Shimano rep and I are really, really good friends and he hates bass fishing. I love bass fishing, but he hates it because, you know, you watch these guys in bass tournaments and they'll hook a bass and it's like, well, I can get this bass to the boat in 3.4 seconds. You know, they skip it across the water and other guys are like, well, I can get it in, you know, it takes me five seconds. <laughs> so, cause they were using 30 pound braids, you know, medium, heavy and heavy extra. So you know, the speed it takes you to get up the tree should be irrelevant because this whole saddle idea is to kill more deer and have more kill opportunities. Sure. I like that answer. Um, I want to jump back a little bit and talk about the uh, two panel saddle versus the single panel saddle and the pleated style saddles. How do you feel about the, the pleated style saddles? Do you still consider that a single panel or is that something that people could, uh, have the same benefits of a two panel no. anything where the two panels are physically connected if you move your butt it's the top is going to pull up and when the top pulls up it brings the bottom with it so anything that is connected and is one piece it's it's a single panel saddle yeah yeah sure so um i just switched to a two panel saddle this year and that was per your recommendation when we filmed a Whitetail Cribs episode, you mentioned that the saddle, the two-panel saddle was more a more comfortable option than a single-panel saddle, plus all of the other benefits. Anyone getting into saddle hunting or someone that maybe wants to try it, you always recommend a two-panel saddle? Always. If you're going to spend 200 bucks, why not get something you're going to use for the rest of your life instead of buying something and then having to go to something else later. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people think a two panel saddle is, is difficult and it's not, it's very, very simple. I've got videos out there on it. My last video I did, I'm using a two panel saddle on my YouTube channel, Eberhard Outdoors. I went through it pretty, pretty clearly. You know, what most people have had a problem with a two panel is walking, they, let's say they put it on the vehicle they tend to want to put it on in the same manner you put on a single panel saddle mm. where it's basically under your butt and then they've got the waist belt you know hooked up and tight so when they put it on and they tighten up that waist belt the panels are overlapped and it's tight and the outer panel holds the inner panel together but as soon as you start walking it's the same exact thing your butt cheeks are moving up and down and it's going because the inner panel is against your butt it's going to separate the two panels. It's not going to make the inner panel ride up, but it's going to make the inner panel ride down and slide out from underneath the outer panel. And then you're going to have the outer panel dangling loose. 
Yeah. So with a two-panel saddle, it's critical if you're gonna if you're gonna walk from your vehicle with your saddle on, or even while climbing, it's very critical to overlap the panels, step into it, pull those panels up above your waistline, where they're gonna be on your back like a weightlifting belt. Okay. So when you move, your butt cheeks are not affecting it because your butt cheeks are not touching the saddle. Then you climb the tree with that still with those panels overlapped above your waistline. You climb the tree with the lineman rope on. And then once you get the tree tether hooked up and you take off, you know, and then you slide the two panels down under your butt. You kind of loosen your waist belt, slide the two panels under your butt. And then you disattach the safety belt. And now you can adjust the panels as needed because you're tethered to the tree. Yep. It, and then it's very simple. It takes, it might, take a few extra minutes to get used to doing that but you're gonna hunt out of this thing for the rest of your life <laughs> so yeah i've i've found a two-panel saddle way more comfortable and i haven't had any issues walking in because i do it the way that you suggest and i would also highly suggest anyone getting into saddle hunting for the first time you haven't bought one already look at a two-panel saddle um we have about probably nine minutes left. And there's well, let me say this, a two panel saddle, is a two panel saddle. So I know there's another company out there with a two panel saddle and it does exactly what mine is. So mine, mine is, it has magnets. I don't care for the magnets, but other than that, they hunt exactly the same. So one is no better than the other. Sure. So if you had, if you were talking, say you were talking to me and I have never tried saddle hunting I've been hunting out of a tree stand. I want to be more mobile and I see the fad of saddle hunting, but I'm skeptical. What advice would you give someone like that? That's trying to get into saddle hunting. That's never done it, but it's a, it's popular and they want to try it, but they're skeptical. What would, what would your advice be? It would depend on one thing. What's that? If they're hunting on the same property I am. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> then I tell them to use a tree stand. Because then they're then <laughs> I view them as a deer deflector. <laughs> no, uh, my my advice would to be would be definitely get a saddle. Once you learn how to use it, you know I'd I'd say get one, set up a set up a tree or the telephone pole in your yard. You know, just eighteen inches off the ground. Put some steps or a platform in the tree, and throw targets out anywhere around the area you want. And just practice out of it low to the ground so you can go recover your arrows and shoot some more. And once you get, and I don't suggest to do that, you know, at the opening day of season, you know, I, I suggest getting it where you have some time to practice out of it because it is different, you know, it is different and it will be, it's going to be, you know, three or four times in a tree learning curve to say, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. I know the first time I got in one and I had to let go of the rope, I was like, this rope's the only thing holding my life up here, <laughs> you know, but I, you got to keep in mind, that's a 6,000 pound test rope. They are far safer than any tree stand. So you cannot fall out of it. I mean, it, you could probably pull your car out of the ditch with it. So uh, it's, it's very, very strong, much stronger. The test that they do on saddles is, is tree stands wouldn't be able to take the test. They, the tree stands would literally buckle. Um, but as far as safety, never never be concerned about safety. It's safer than anything. Uh, the versatility, this using the tree as a buffer. Nobody's stealing it. Nobody hunts out of it. Leaning trees, big diameter trees, no creaking. 
the safety factor. I know I have guys come to my workshops with kids that are, you know, young teenagers. And because the dad's using a saddle and the wife has seen him practicing in the yard with it, she won't let the kids hunt out of a tree stand because she wants them to have that safety factor being tethered to the tree 100% of the time from the time they leave the ground to the time they're back on the ground. So there's, there's just way too many advantages of a saddle over a conventional stand to ever think about using a conventional stand. And I, I can remember, and I like Dan Infall, uh, I shook his hand at, the, at our <laughs> public challenge. And uh, I remember he did a video, tree stands versus saddles. And to be perfectly frank, I never commented on it because I thought it was quite comical because the guy he had that was in the saddle didn't have a freaking clue what he was doing. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to compare them, compare them with somebody that knows how to use the saddle because there is a huge difference. <laughs> sure. Um, so real quickly in list fashion, what are your most important keys to successfully hunting out of a saddle? Being in the right spot when the buck comes through. It's <laughs> <laughs> always, you know, a saddle will help you with more opportunities because you can, you can prep more trees and have a lot of trees accessible at any point in time. Uh, also a saddle, because it is so diverse in the amount of trees that you can prep, you know, as far as big diameter, tiny diameter, crooked trees. Um, when you find a destination location, you know, like a, especially something like a primary scrape barrier or a master fruit tree, you usually will have a tree within shooting distance to the destination spot that will accept a saddle. A lot of times you will not have a tree that will accept a tree stand. And there you, then you have to set up on some form of sign leading to that destination area. And anytime you have to set up away from the destination spot, you're missing opportunities. Because typically at a destination spot, you have deer runs coming in from multiple directions. So when you have to set up, let's say on two runways feeding this destination location from the Southwest, you're missing all of, you're missing the destination location activity coming in from the West or the North or whatever. Sure. Um, you're, miss, you're definitely missing opportunities. So being able to set up as tight as you can to the destination spot is a huge advantage and give you a lot more shot opportunities. Let me rephrase that. Let's, uh, in terms of the actual physical setup with yeah. the saddle, like what are the most important things to keep in mind when you're in the tree to be successful in a saddle, addressing oh. the fact that like being closer to the tree, keep the tree in between you and the deer, things like that. Well, you just said it. Those are the main factors. You, uh, depending on the area you're hunting, if you're hunting in pressured areas, you want to keep your body profile as tight to the tree as possible, especially during the rut when the foliage is down. Otherwise, you stick out like a sore thumb against the skyline. You know, being on a platform, you're farther away from the tree. Um, and definitely being able to keep the tree as a buffer between you and the deer. Even when you want to shoot, you know, you want to swing around the tree with one way or the other, keep the tree between you and the target animal and then just slightly swing to the side to take the shot. Or if it's a deer you don't want to shoot, a lot of times you'll have a couple of does and a couple of fawns, mature does and fawns coming through the area and the foliage is down and you don't want to get picked because they might stop and blow and spook everything in a quarter of a mile if it's quiet outside. So you move around the tree on an as-need basis to even on non-target deer to let them go by 
without noticing like a tree. Um, and the comfort. Plus, you shoot better. That's another major point. When you are in a tree stand, you tend to, most hunters tend to stand up and shoot. So you're basically balancing yourself on your two feet when you're 18 to 25 feet up off the ground. Um, and you can't balance yourself on two feet the same as you are in a saddle. You have both feet on solid steps or a platform and your butt, probably 70% of your weight of your body is in your seat. So you have three solid points of body contact. So there is no balance issue. You are solid as a rock and you will definitely shoot better out of a saddle with those three solid points of body contact than you will standing and balancing on a platform. Sure. Yeah, I like it. So we're going to run out of time here. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit and talk with me and hopefully educate some people and make them become better saddle hunters. If anyone wants to hear anything more from you, where can they find you? Uh, Eberhard Outdoors is our YouTube channel. We've, we're getting ready to post a lot of stuff on there. Um, I'm getting ready to post on Facebook and on my website. Uh, my workshop dates are March, April, and May. I've written several bow hunting books. They're available on Amazon, or you can get them off my website. I've instructional DVDs. They're on my website. They can find me at home if they knew my address. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty open. When you, uh, when you go on my website, there's my emails up there, people send I probably answer 10 or 15 hunting questions on average every day, all year long. So I, I try to, sometimes it might take me a couple of weeks to get back, but uh, uh, my, I'm dumb enough to put my email. I actually did a <laughs> podcast with Mark Kenyon once on Wired to Hunt. I gave my phone number and he said, <laughs> he said, man, you're brave. Yeah. <laughs> but I like to help hunters, you know, I want hunters to be successful as they possibly can and not fall for a lot of this gobbly goop they see on, on YouTube, you know, be, be proficient and be streamlined. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my goal is to help people kill more deer. Cause I know how much time and money people put into hunting. You know, uh, we don't have a lot of free time in our life. You know, most people that are, most people are working and got kids and yeah, free time's valuable and you might as well make the most out of what you got. Yeah. Well, John, thank you again. I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. And if you guys have any more questions, you you uh, you heard the man, you know where to get a hold of him. Thank you, Mr. Eberhart. I commend you again on another fantastic season. And I look forward to following along more years to come. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate the offer to do this podcast.